0: You're listening to the St. Mark's podcast for April 25th, 2021, the fourth Sunday of Easter. Today's sermon was given by the reverend Peter Wolf. It's based on John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. So, as all of my old friends will attest that when I was in college, Bruce Springsteen was the central philosophical force in my life. His music was the soundtrack of everything I did in my life. And like the Hasidim in Jerusalem who study the five books of the Torah next to the Wailing Wall, I studied the first five albums of Bruce Springsteen. I quoted these albums like scripture. And like the Orthodox Jews who dress according to the precepts of the Torah I dressed like Bruce in the characters in his albums. I took this Bruce-ness to Wall Street when I got out of college where I failed at my first attempt at becoming an adult. 20 minutes into the job I knew I was in the wrong place. Two years later I retreated to Cambridge, Massachusetts to ponder the meaning of life. I lived alone in this tiny little hidden room on the other side of a pool table that nobody knew about. It was in a non-residential student club. And I worked as the assistant to the cook. This man was no chef, assistant to the cook who provided lunch and dinner meals to these students in these fraternal clubs. And my boss drank 16 ounce tall boy Light beers beginning at 8 a.m. all day. And sometimes I was with him for 12 or 13 hours. I never once saw him change his demeanor. I just loved this man. Now, I was a very happy maker of iceberg salads, no other type of lettuce was ever used. I was a waiter to students who never ever looked at me and I was a happy picker-upper and a pourer-outer of sometimes nasty beer bottles from the parties the night before. And as I went about my labors, I lived in my head and I was busy writing a book on the music of Bruce Springsteen and the meaning of life. And after doing this for some time, I decided on a Tuesday, the time had come to put pen to paper. And so I sat there at this desk hidden behind this wall on the other side of the pool table and nada. Not one sentence. Not a thought. I didn't draw across the page. I didn't lay out chapters to come. Nothing. Thursday evening I went to where I often had dinner, the second floor bar of Charlie's Kitchen, where I always had Draft, Budweiser beer, and the Cheeseburg special. Leave off the ER. And I sat there at the bar pondering the meaning of life, and I was watching the Celtics game on the TV above the bar, which was up against a mirror, and I was noting that there was a, a purple light down below the cheap booze bottles, and that light came out mauve, and it made the Cheap booze bottles look all the cheaper and look really quite ugly. And I was sitting there watching Robert Parrish and Larry Bird when I suddenly had this realization and the realization almost like it didn't come from my my thinking, which I had been doing a lot of thinking. It seemed to come from beyond. It seemed to come from outside and it was this. Bruce Springsteen could not save me. It was a devastating insight and I realized immediately why Bruce could not save me and that was in spite of his brilliance he was just a human being like me and in fact as I thought about it I could see him caged in his humanity and that he was searching for a way out and that's really where the hit song Born to Run came from right? So, so in Born to Run, the, the young man in Born to Run storms out of town, Born to Run, but he has nowhere to go, right? And so he ends up at Backstreet's where, as Bruce says, the truth ran him down. And so I sat there on that Thursday night bar, which Thursday night was the night, by the way, and I looked in the mirror at the tables behind me and I listened to the noise, the, the jukebox, which was playing a song I didn't much think worthy of such a jukebox and I listened to the conviviality of the tables and the early, early large screen TV over on my left that I had sat in front of on most Thursday nights during my college days and I listened to the silence of the men sitting on the stools next to me at the bar. And As I sat there I felt profoundly, existentially, alone. I was just a human being with a bad case of the human condition, and I had nothing to say about it. As I sat there, I noted that if Bruce could not save me, nor could Shakespeare, or Salinger, or Plato, or Aristotle, or Bach, or Beethoven, or Billy Holiday, or Etta James, or Freud, or Young, or Rosa Parks, or Indira Gandhi, or German idealism and American transcendentalism, or Pistol Pete Maravich, my childhood hero, or Billie Jean King, or any of the scholars that I admired who all lived within driving distance of Charlie's Kitchen. Each of these people, incredibly brilliant in their own ways, was just like me. They were just a human being trying to make sense out of the human condition And as I sat there at the bar, I knew I had a profound desire for a different kind of human being, but I had nowhere to turn, so I watched the Celtics. That was a good team. I grew up not liking the Celtics, but since I lived in Boston for so long, I knew a lot about the Celtics. As I sat there, I wondered how many people were watching the Celtics that night because they had nowhere else to turn. And I wondered if a good hoop game was the answer to existential loneliness. What I needed was really a who, and what I really needed was Jesus, though the suggestion of such would have sounded profoundly odd. It would not have landed particularly well as I had a one-dimensional airbrushed eighth grade CCD Jesus idea in my head. I was a lapsed Catholic kid and my most powerful experience growing up in the church was that I was on an awesome eighth grade CYO hoop team that really should have won the Tri-City Championships but we were beaten by Our Lady of Victory in Troy even though they had two kids who were 16. (laughs) Hoping to get over that by the time I die. What I needed was not a philosophical text, so many of which I had studied when I was in college. I needed John's Gospel. And I needed to hear Jesus talk about himself. I needed Jesus to say, I am. So in John's Gospel, Jesus makes many statements that begin with the verb form, I am. And certain of these statements are revelatory and by revelatory I mean like the book of Revelation they are revealing something of God and in this case they are revealing the divinity of Jesus now we all know that most often when we hear the gospel read we hear it from the synoptic Gospels of Matthew Mark and Luke and in those we always hear Jesus saying the kingdom of God is like right? Jesus is talking about the Kingdom of God that he came to inaugurate. But in John's Gospel, that's not what you hear about at all. You hear about Jesus talking about himself, and not only about himself, but he is talking about his unique relationship with the Father, with God, with the divine, right? We have it all throughout the scriptures, part of it was just read by Father Justin, but we hear it over and over. I am in the Father and the Father is in me." It is this unique relationship that Jesus has with the Father that makes Jesus unique. It is in these I am statements statements that Jesus reveals that he is the one person that is not like the rest of us, that is not like Bruce Springsteen and Billie Jean King and Aristotle and Plato, right? He is not just another human being trying to make sense out of the human condition. He's not a great philosopher or psychologist or poet or writer or singer or scholar. We have no knowledge that he was musical, right? He's not even a religious genius like Moses or Abraham or Buddha. So in the scriptures that are, as you know, New Testament written in Greek, Jesus says, I am... Forty-five times, and twenty-six of those times, he says, "ego amī." Amī means "I am." Amī, and "ego amī" might be translated as "I myself am." But when that is used, that is sacred, right? That is revelatory. That is revealing. That's not just oh, I, I, like someone who doesn't know grammar particularly well, right? And when Jesus says "ego amī," he is saying something about who he is his who he isness as a person and what he is to do what he is what is his divine commission what is he doing while he's here and he, and the scriptures tell us that he says this to us so that we might believe so that we might know and as far as i'm con- concerned so you don't need to sit at the second floor bar at Charlie's kitchen and feel existentially alone though that's not actually in the scriptures So there are several types of these I am sayings and one of them one type is known as the absolute sayings and that's where uh, Jesus says I am and the I am just stands alone it's almost as though the sentence is incomplete and we hear a lot of this in the eighth chapter of John where it's been the festival of the booths and Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's teaching in the temple precincts right put your mind in the temple right up in the precincts outside of the temple where people are gathering And and Jesus is in a dispute. I mean, so Jesus is in a dispute all the time. You ever get that? I mean, the guy is in a dispute almost every time he walks out in public. And he's always in a dispute when he's in the temple precincts. And they're disputing over who he is, the who he isness of Jesus. And he says, when you lift me up, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am. And that... Another point, he says, before Abraham even came into existence, I am. There's four I am's in this conversation, and to one of them, the response is, well, then who are you? Right? They they don't get it. Which is, if you follow along in John's gospel, there's always this disconnect. They're like two airplanes flying like at different heights and different spaces by each other. There's a whole other set of I am statements where the object of the I am is implied, right? And we see this when Jesus is at Jacob's well and he has that absolutely awesome conversation with a Samaritan woman in the fourth chapter. And remember the Samaritan woman, she's, is she not awesome? I would love to know the Samaritan woman. I mean, she's just calling it the way it is. And, and she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus' response is, I am. In other words, I am he implied the one who is speaking to you. And then at the Last Supper, he is preparing his disciples for what is going to come that evening. And he says, I am telling you this before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe that I am who I am. And then, you know, they come out and they go down into the Kidron Valley and right up into the Garden of Gethsemane in an incredible scene, right? And 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 Judas and the temple guards show up for the arrest, and Jesus says something in the New Testament, one of my favorite lines because it's grammatically correct and I think it's funny because I would never say it particularly in a moment of extremis. Whom are you looking for? Right? It's pretty fantastic. Our savior has the grammar down perfectly. Whom are you looking for? And they answer, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says to them, I am, implied, I am he. And then it says, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. So if we have eyes to hear, or eyes to see, or ears to hear, right, this falling to the ground is what happens in a theophany in the Hebrew scriptures when God has manifested, you know, the, the, the power of the divinity People, you know, people a cower, they cower, right? And when Jesus speaks of himself, he speaks as God speaks of God's self in the Hebrew scripture. So these, this wording that we can read right over is actually in the Greek and in on Jesus's tongue, incredibly strong, extremely strong, pregnant with heavy duty theological significance. And we all remember that in the book of Exodus, when Moses uh, comes upon the burning bush, and I love it. God says, take off your shoes, which is another great biblical line. And, and the name of God comes forth from the burning bush, and it's, you know, difficult to translate. You know, Yahweh are the, the Hebrew letters, but one of the ways we can translate it is, I am who I am. So these I am sayings, rooted in the Hebrew scriptures, starting at the burning bush, and, and then into Jesus, I am also is manifested and comes out in seven figurative statements that Jesus makes about who he is and what is his divine commission, right? And these statements are I am the bread of life, sometimes translated, I am the living bread, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, sometimes translated, I am the door. And then, I am the good shepherd, which we heard in our gospel this morning. And I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the vine. What Jesus is revealing to us, what is revelatory in these statements, is that Jesus is the source of eternal life. He is the vine, he is the life, He is the resurrection. That Jesus is the means through which people find life, right? He is the way. He is the gate. He is the door. He is the light. And that Jesus leads people to this life. He is the Good Shepherd. And Jesus reveals divine truth. I am the truth. He is himself truth incarnate, and he speaks the truth. And Jesus nourishes us on our path, right? He is the bread of life. He is the living bread. You know, so when I was sitting on that bar stool with my Budweiser and my Cheeseburg special, what I really needed was the bread of life. And I am sure that that is what our world needs today whether or not people are seated on the bar stool at Charlie's Kitchen, seated in their living rooms, going about their days. Who amongst us does not need the bread of life? Who amongst us does not need the one human being that is different from everybody else and provides the way, the path to the truth and to the life, the life that is beyond the soul cage that if we're not careful, we might all live in. He is the one that gives us divine horizon. He was born that we might live. Remember what he says in the very sentence before the sentence in our gospel today, he said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That is got to be one of the favorite sentences of all Christians, right? Abundant life, because the world's a crazy and tough place. The human condition ain't for the weak of heart. There isn't a person I know who doesn't have great challenges in their life. And yet, Jesus says, an abundant life. That's what I'm here for. And if you follow me, that's what you get. Find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.